In this series, lowimpact.org and the Open Credit Network talks with people working to build a mutually owned, democratic, decentralised economy that builds community and doesn't destroy nature. We want to increase collaboration to bring about system change. Find links to the sites mentioned in the videos in the description below. Join the conversation by liking, commenting and subscribing to our channel. Uh, so today uh, I'm speaking with Narish Giangrande, um, who's, um, you, you were co-founder of Transition Totness and the Transition Network, is that right? That's right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're, you're moving on now. What, what are you, what are you going to do next? Uh, well, what I am doing next, um, I stopped working for the organization a, um, some couple of years ago. Um, <clears throat> and I still do some of the trainings. I still do a, uh, I just did a training in the new forest, uh, uh a few weeks ago. Um, but, um, uh, I'm working for uh, Gaia Education um, on some of their online education programs. Uh, I did a, um, a, um, uh, I wrote a paper um, on education for sustainability um, based on the um, uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals. And um, I'm just uh, starting something we're calling living activism or, or contemplative activism about bringing, bringing together uh, contemplatives and contemplative lifestyles along uh, alongside activists, social activists of, of various descriptions, and, uh -huh. um, and and what we can learn from each other. And what? Why did you leave transition? Um, well, I, I guess I felt that uh, I had given all I had to give to that movement, and that it was time for new people, new energy, new new ways of doing things to come in and um, uh, and take it you know, wherever it needs to go. Um, and uh, I think there was also, for me, there was an element of burnout that, you know, after working in transition for maybe, gosh, um, 14, 13, 14 years, um, that uh, I'd reached a point where I felt, um, I had this feeling of, um, of just sitting at this coalface of, social change of, and, and being aware of the kind of changes, the sort of, the sort of systemic changes that so far every society, virtually every society has shied away from. Um, being aware of the, the, the scale of change that's needed and, and the, on one hand, and the response that, that we're generally making on the other. And, and just that feeling of, well, um, I don't think I can sit on that coalface much longer and, and be effective. Um, and, I, and, you know, and I think that's an interesting question for any activist. Of where, you know, how, how do they sit with that? How do they sit with those, with the incredibly painful contradictions that, um, that we all have to sit with um, if you're really sitting in that, in that place of you know, where we have to go to or, or, or the sort of degree and level of change um, combined with um, what's actually happening. Mm. Yes. So uh, transition has a sort of a localization, local resilience agenda, but that it hasn't really happened at a large enough scale to make a difference to the way that humanity is moving. And why do you think uh, it didn't have as much influence as you probably would have liked to have had? Well, there's, I think there's several reasons for that. Um, uh, there's there, we, um, there's been a, 
quite a strong element of capture, of, of capture of, of governments, regulatory, regulatory environments uh, around the world by, by, you know, particularly by multinational corporations who, you know, who most governments are enthralled to. And um, with the result is that they're, they are getting subsidized um, and you know the one that gets the headline is, is fossil fuel production. Fossil fuel producers are subsidized to to five and a half trillion dollars a year. It, 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 when you're facing um, a, a situation where, as a as a local locally based um, alternative, um, maybe you don't have the skills and the um, the abilities that. Um, multinational corporations can buy, um, combine that with the, the level of subsidies that they are receiving, mm -hmm. and the, the level, of the playing field is so unlevel that it's 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 a bit of a joke. Um, and you know, the fact is, uh, I think consciously or unconsciously, most people are somewhat aware of it. Is um, Peter Haas um, created a term called technosphere, and um, it's this. What was the name? What was the name again? Technosphere. Not the name of the Peter. Peter Haas, um, I think he's Dutch, and um, this the sense that we 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 are enthralled to this huge um, machine that we've created, this huge you know machine that that crosses boundaries, um, that crosses national and and political boundaries, and and is um, and is we are dependent on for just about everything we need, and this idea that we're going to somehow relocalize all that feels somewhat far-fetched um, mm. particularly as, as long as we are um, wanting to you know to use technology like you and I are using right now mm -hmm. and um, and be dependent on that um, it, you know if, if we were if we were happy about going back to the sort of level of simplicity that that um, uh, we could where we could make just about everything locally then that's another thing but um, all the signs are that that there's very very few people who are willing to make that kind of a, a shift as yet yeah. Yeah. and you know whether um, um, as the as the current crisis deepens and develops well you know maybe, maybe that's going to be there's going to be more and more people who are you know probably virtually forced to do it but um, yeah. Anyway, that's another question. Do you think this? Um, do you think this giant machine is going to crash? Uh, I think it. I think it is crashing. I think there's no. There's no um, two ways about it. Um, however, um, I would. Um, uh, I would put a caveat on that, which is uh, this idea that um, um, the, this futurist um, uh, William. William Good, was it, was it William Goodman um, said was was that the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. So mm -hmm. you know there are going to be places where it's going to crash. There's going to be places where it's just going to carry on. There's going to be places that are doing sort of transition. People, there's places that are people will be doing some some sort of techno, um, you know, techno fantasy of of some description. So you know, sort of green technology or whatever. So so there's there's going to be all that's going to be happening. It's going to be happening in parallel. It's going to be happening in, in different ways in different places. So there's, you know, and I think that's, you know, that's already the case. You know, mm. for many people in the world, the the, the collapse has already happened. Mm. Um, it's just a question of um, uh, on a recent training, um, on two recent trainings, actually, I asked this. We do we do these things called constellations. We asked the question about well, um, in twenty years' time, 
your life is going to be radically different from, from the way it is now um, without putting any positive or negative on it. Um, and I asked that question, ask people to place themselves at one end of the spectrum or, you know, yes, my life is going to be totally different. No, it's, it's going to be more or less the same and, and put themselves on a spectrum. And in both cases, everybody in the room, which is extremely unusual, everybody in the room was, was way at the end of, yeah, my life is going to be radically different. My life in this place, in, you know, a kind of modern Western um, relatively wealthy capitalist economy. You know, mm. not you know, not we're not talking about Mozambique, and we're, you know, we're not talking about Kenya. We're talking about, um, you know, yeah. Everybody I speak to really of all different sort of um, classes and all different sort of political persuasions. Really, if you if you push them, they say yes. I think, I think something's something bad is coming. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but. Well, I, I, Dave, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't even put that on it um, because um, I, I feel, I feel very mixed ideas about um, the sort of world that my children and my grandchildren are going to be living in in say twenty years' time, and and it's going to be radically different from from mine. Um, but there's also going to be radical opportunity as well as radical change. Some of it might be very uncomfortable change. Some of it might be really, really difficult to live with. Uh, I'm not at all convinced that it's gonna be all bad. I think it's in the same way now. We see some amazing things. And that's, that's, one, been one of the, um, that's been one of the great things about working in the transition movement is that I, I've got to meet some of the most incredible people in all parts of the world doing amazing things with, with practically nothing. Um, to back them up with and 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 they do and at the same time we then see some of the some of the horrible things that are happening in the world yeah. so but also um community often gets stronger in times of crisis i mean a lot of people look back with with fondness of, 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 at the war when people pulled together and sort of looked after each other mm. uh, so so yeah some some things communities might become stronger so thinking, thinking about transition specifically, why do you think it didn't get um, more media coverage? Well, I think um, media coverage is a, is a particular thing. And um, I mean, we didn't set out to get media coverage, but it sort of came to us because we were touting, the, um, we were tooting the peak oil horn. And um, when that, um, when that kind of came and went, um, I think that undermined a lot of our credibility. Um, I think uh, we weren't, probably weren't um, media hungry enough. And I think a lot of the stuff that, that transition groups do is, um, is pretty unsexy. Um, it's not particularly photogenic. Um, mm. There's, you know, if you're really, really good at spinning a story, then... Um, as my as my mate Rob Hopkins is is eminently great at, then then you can um, create something that is um, people um, really resonate with and and is and is very strong. But um, uh, that's a particular skill. So um, I think it's it's I think for all those reasons, it probably didn't um, we didn't stay in the uh, in the limelight for as long as, as we might have liked. And, you know, mm. and <clears throat> that's also the nature of the beast too. You know, uh, mm -hmm. media consumes 
things and then it moves on to the next thing. The I think it was a worthy thing. It was a very good story. Um, you know, we need to, we need to build community cohesion and resilience because, um, you know, because of what's happening to the environment and what's happening to the, to the oil supply. And uh, yeah, it hasn't peaked because of new discoveries, but it's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, yeah, it's going to happen. And, and there's also, I think something else in it is that, um, that that's always a contradiction that the early adopters, the people who can see where it's all going are by nature and just, just by the very fact of who they are, they're, they're way at the head, they're the head of the wave. And now we're seeing much more of a wave, you know, with XR and, and such like. So it's quite hard to keep something like that, you know, uh, in, in the sort of media limelight when it's clearly there isn't that wave coming behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and it, it is a contradiction because we could see, and, and I think most people who are working in this kind of, um, you know, local resilience space can see the absolute need for that. Um, just today, I was in discussions with various people about, well, you know, uh, coronavirus, like, you know, okay, it's, I, I don't think it's an existential threat to the human race, but it could cause some pretty big disruption. So, you know, what do we do? Well, let's start talking to each other for a start. Let's start building some store stocks and supplies. Um, let's start thinking about, well, if the brown stuff really does hit the fan, then, you know, are, do we have a plan? Mm -hmm. So and all those things are also the tra things transition has, has been advocating. Mm -hmm. Was there much internal conflict within transition? And uh, did it do much harm, do you think? Um, it, it was the, the most surprisingly un conflict ridden place that I could imagine. <laughs> um, it, it was extraordinarily harmonious and, you know, we were all just kind of happy to be where we were and happy to, to work together. And um, I, I think the atmosphere, both in the organization and, and also in most transition groups, I think we're, we're pretty good. Having said that, you know, it, it, there were, we often heard stories and there were, it was the case that some transition groups went down because of conflict and you know conflict is mm -hmm. not being able to process it not being able to to deal with it not being able to know not knowing not having the skills and the resources to do that um, which is why we put a significant resource into helping people to understand that whole thing about group dynamics and how how groups work and you know how do you how you know effective collaboration and things like that because transition isn't a top-down organization, is it? Anybody can do whatever they like um, within reason. And so, so how do you keep people on message when, uh, when they don't need permission to do anything? Well, um, you don't. Um, and you just allow people to speak. Um, I remember some of the first YouTube videos put up about transition were for some, for some group in New Zealand who were held a conference and talking about transition and they were, um, they put up a YouTube video and we were kind of looking at that and thinking, God, who are these people? We don't even, we have no idea who they are, how they found out about us, but there, there it was. We're, we were really um, unfast about um, people going off message or as, as we see it off message. And, and, and that's been a really interesting kind of, um, um, 
inquiry, I guess, we held in, trans in transition um, is, well, who has the right to speak for transition or the transition movement? Well, nobody does, really. You know, even, you know, somebody like myself. I mean, I, I wouldn't presume to speak for the transition. I could say what I felt and or what I saw or what I'm experiencing in Totnes or, or other places. But... Um, uh, it's it's an interesting thing that and, and often people would come to us and say oh what's transitions you know take on da 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 or you know what you know what, how come you haven't put out a statement about such and such and it's like well who who can who's going to put that out and who mm. are they speaking for and what authority do they have well in a self you know that I mean that's one of the I think most interesting things about transitions one of the uh, I'd say it's one of the first self-organizing international movements of people um, in the world. And we were experimenting with that in often in a very unconscious way. You know, we didn't put a lot of time and energy into thinking, oh, well, how do you, how do you run, an, how do you run a, a self-organizing international movement? Mm -hmm. um, we just kind of did it. Did you find it easy or difficult to raise money? Um, well, money is uh, is one of the more difficult things for transition groups um, because, um, for a start, there's often there is not the local markets uh, that will um, that will support transition work. Um, and like I said, I think there's that whole question of um, of, of uh, subsidies that um, that go into the fossil fuel economy. Um, and is you know is busy propping up all sorts of unsustainable and, and undesirable um, farming practices, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there's not a lot of money for that sort of work at a local level. Um, and you know, and I've also I've seen um, local groups, particularly local energy groups, um, community-supported agriculture groups. Um, other such things um, raise quite su su substantial, quite a, quite a lot of capital um, for investment um, because they had a you know they had a product that was clearly um, financeable and could you know could clearly create a return, um, and most people investing in that sort of thing were you know weren't weren't you know they weren't wanting to make it stock market beating returns. They just weren't wanting a reasonable return on their capital and, yeah. and, um, and wanting to know that their money was doing something good in the world. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's much of a role for alternative currencies um, in the sort of transition approach? And I, I know the Totnes, the Totnes pound f failed in the end, didn't it? Uh, and well, I, wondered, I wondered if you'd come across uh, mutual credit and, and uh, what we're doing at the Open Credit Network. I wonder whether you'd come across. Yeah, um, I've I've been talking to Tony Greenham and and know what and I'm, I'm aware of what they're doing with the Southwest Bank and um, cooperative banking systems. And I, and I think there's I think there's an evolution in all that. Um, uh, an alternative currency that is tied to the national currency, the way the Totnes pound was, uh, and many of them are, um, I think is, uh, is, is of limited value. Mm. Um, That's, uh, yeah. it, it, it appears that, you know, if a scheme is big enough and you can get enough business to business, um, 
uh, interaction um, and and trade, then then that that makes a big difference. Um, and particularly then if you can borrow in your local currency and pay back money in your local currency and and all that. Um, that is something that would make a local currency really work and mm. and also you know make it incredibly easy to use and um uh and convenient because you know um if you're like most people you know you wave wave just go into a shop and wave around a piece of plastic and you know that's that's your money um that's it's kind of hard to beat I think the local currencies, well, and, and cryptocurrencies, they, the, the the value of them was that they showed people that there there can be alternatives. Um, yeah. I saw, well, I it's, the, the con, the it shows, it's showing it's showing up that there can be alternatives, but also um, showing up this uh, the the kind of uh, fantasies or or ideas that people have um, or beliefs we have about what you know what a, you know a, what a five pound note represents because um this whole idea that it's somehow backed or somehow anything real other than a, a set of beliefs is mm -hmm. you know and so we we would create a whole nother set of beliefs uh, and mm. people went kind of wow about that for a while mm. i remember whenever i gave a talk and i started talking about oh we, we started printing money in totnes and suddenly the bunch of whole sways of the audience who were half asleep suddenly yeah. their ears up and went oh yeah. <laughs> really <laughs> tell me yeah. about tell me more i'm surprised now about the number of people who actually know where where money comes from and how banks created um 10 years ago very very few people knew anything about that but a lot of people do now yeah, so yeah. Uh, which is good that's that's got to be a good thing but I guess the the convertibility of local currencies meant that you know it's absolutely tied to the bank issued debt money, and that's mm. that's that's why I find mutual credit so interesting because it's not it's it's you can't mm. buy the credits with conventional money. It's it's separate in that way, and and therefore I think there's huge potential. I don't know if yeah. you know about um, Sardex in Sardinia. There's a scheme in Sardinia which is which is turning over. 50 million euros worth of trade a year just in Sardinia. Mm. So it's the, mm. there's huge potential really. Um, I'd like to yeah. talk to transition groups I more about that. I believe there is. And I, and I, you know, and I, and I know that um, in places like Argentina, when the national currency yeah. Yeah. became virtually unusable, that's when local currencies came into their own. <coughs> Do you know, um, I mean, would you have any idea of the, the best way to approach transition groups or the transition network as a whole about mutual credit and how maybe they could promote and maybe use mutual credit in their, in their local groups? Um, it's not my area of expertise. So um, uh, I really, uh, rather than kind of speculate i think i'll just leave that one yeah yeah okay um so uh i mean what are your ideas about relocalization now how the, the best way to finance relocalization or to engage with local and national politicians maybe um what do you think are the most important things to focus on and do you think governments will be responsive at all or do you think they're too much under the sway of corporations um I, uh, 
it was it was always it, it always surprised me how much interest uh, politicians, national politicians, took um, of the transition movement. Um, I was constantly amazed, um, and at the same time, I think they they are so caught up in that whole. Um, that mega system that I think it's very difficult to imagine sort of local local economics um, but you know we've had interest from and involvement from everybody from um, Gordon Brown um, to uh, uh, Theresa May um, and uh, uh, and you know many many local politicians but um, you know there were um, there was a lot of interest from from lo from national politicians. I don't think they could do very much about it, uh, or do very much to help us. Mm -hmm. I mean, Theresa May was part of the group. She when she was before she was Home Secretary and before she was Prime Minister, she was part of the group uh, who, in her local constituency, which was transition, which was Maidenhead, she started. She was one of the group that started Transition Maidenhead. Um, but um, uh, she didn't. She didn't last in that role very long. So um, yeah, I, mean, I know there's government legislation um, and sort of government action as regards localization. I mean, the people I've spoken with and the people I've interviewed for this series, they've always found it a hindrance rather than a help. So the community energy schemes. Then, then they would have to buy a, a license, which is the same sort of license that Eon would buy, too expensive for a, a local community energy scheme. So they have to sell their electricity to the national grid for four p a unit, and local members have to buy it back for eighteen p a unit, yeah. uh, which is sort of really stymies them. And there are only subsidies for large farmers, I think over ten hectares, which which is really difficult for the local community supported agriculture schemes. Um, and allowing corporations to avoid paying tax, you know, whereas they clamp down completely on small businesses. Yeah. So I, I just don't see a way to... There was a, there was a, I can't remember the name of the town, but there was a town in, I think it was Wales, who, um, who started to set up a, um, the sorts of tax avoidance um, mechanisms as a, as a town. There was like 40 or 50 local businesses got together and said, okay, well, we're going to create what it's called a Dutch sandwich or something like that. And um, let's create one of those um, because that's, that's the people we are having to compete against um, the cost of coffees, um, the Amazons, that's what they use. So let's use it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I can't remember the name of the town. I can't remember what happened because of it. But, but again, you know, we get back to the same, you know, the same thing about this. There's not a level playing field. It will be good. And um, so, um, Whatever, whatever the next big movement is, whether it's XR or something that follows from XR, and also within the mutual credit world, we're, we're trying to take it global, something called the credit commons, so that um, mutual credit schemes all over the world can, can trade with each other. Uh, and so we, we really want to affect the sort of the, the global trading system. The, whatever the next big movement is, um, what, what do you think they could learn from transition? Um, I think, um, I think, I think first of all, is to trust, to trust that there are loads of people out there who, who will respond 
and who uh, will come along with you, who will do things that are, you know, incredible and, um, and just trust that that's going to happen. And um, so trust people. Um, I think um, enabling learning is a really important piece. And, you know, we did a certain amount of that. Um, and I think we could have done more and we could have done better. Um, but enabling that kind of peer-to-peer -peer learning to, to take place and to work. Um, uh, certainly a lot of people, a lot of transition groups did some really good cut and paste sort of jobs, you know, saw something happening somewhere and they thought, okay, let's, I'll just take that and, and get it to happen here. And, and it did. Um, and in many cases you could just cut and paste and voila. Um, what, sort of, what sort of things? Well, the things, things are like local energy cooperatives and, and the whole slew of, of kind of food projects, um, everything from land share and to, um, community supported agriculture to uh, uh, you know vegetable box schemes um, or you know all those sorts of things were I think that's very important so that each community doesn't have to reinvent the wheel if it's been done and it's success that, successful that, that's somewhere. right you know and and you know um, uh, local currencies you know there are many local currencies happened um, and you know there are there are certain areas um, certain things that that became really um, hot and became um, um, I mean I've heard uh, food described as the sort of gateway drug of transition you know it's, it's what got a lot of people into it um, because everybody eats and everybody's interested in food um, and then you know and then there's this whole social exclusion um, uh, epidemic of loneliness and unhappiness in our society you know that things like maker cafes and, and maker spaces um, helps to helps to enable you know, uh, all those you know all those places where transition you know those kind of cracks and those those places are where transition groups have really thrived um, it's just the question of how you know I think paying attention then if you were talking about well what you know what are the lessons so paying attention to well how do we make that that um, step from um, from being these people who are who are finding the cracks and and, and are, are are living within the cracks of society, mm -hmm. and how do we make that next step mm -hmm. to you know to the mainstream? Um, I was just at a um, uh, I was just at a conference. Uh, well, it was a trade show um, last week in London um, called um, uh, Future Build. And, um, and I, you know, when I look at some of their, um, um, some of their material, you know, like, like that, you know, they're, they're talking about this, you know, they're using this sort of language. This is mainstream. This is not a bunch of hippies talking about mud bricks and, and hemp plaster. Although there was just, some I just want to say for the podcast that says responding to the emergency. Yeah. Um, and uh, there were, you know, the opening the keynote speech was given by this guy from XR. So it, it is part of, um, it, you know, the, this is entering the, the mainstream really quickly. And, and in a way that um, the mainstream building industry in this instance has just, are just unable to respond to the emergency because the, A, they don't know what it is. And B, um, 
just you know the whole the whole product line everything about it is so um unsustainable and un unregenerative and um and unable to respond to the emergency that it's almost laughable if it wasn't so sad but but you know that is the we are going to see more of that i think and as um people become more and more aware uh, and and then it's going to be how do you create the rhetoric how do you create the rhetoric that 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 gets beyond the early adopters that gets beyond the cultural creators mm -hmm. so it's it, it's those kind of questions and I, you know i know groups like xr are asking those sort of questions which is great um and i think with kind of crowdsourcing those sorts of questions with those sorts of responses is is, is the way that it's going to be um, you know, the way that, that those, those steps are going to be taken.